Let's say the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the spirits in hell. The third day He rose again from the dead, he ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty, whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. So today we come to the phrase, whence he shall come, to judge the living and the dead. And I've had Matthew's voice in my head all week. <laughs> I said that to Matthew earlier, and his mom said, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> the rest of you are probably going, well, that's not a bad voice to have in your head. And it's this, um, because there is so much in this phrase in the scriptures that it comes from. Because I just want to reiterate, the Apostles' Creed is not sacred scripture. It is the identification of the essentials of scripture that are, that are the essentials. And so this statement has chapters of, of the Bible that are the basis for it, that we could look at. And, and so... Um, as I'm preparing this week, I'm going, man, we could do so many sermons on this. And so Matthew's voice comes in, yeah, but Pastor Herb, that's what learning community is for. <laughs> Give us the, the essential and then we'll process that, which is why learning communities are so important. Because we get the information on Sunday morning, but then we process it together as we spend time together Thursday, Friday, or Sunday. So I believe whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. We like the idea of being judged when it is to our advantage. You know, when you're judged good enough to make the team or when you're judged at first or second place in a contest. Well, we don't like the idea of being judged when, when it doesn't go in our favor. And so let's talk about uh, what this means, what judgment means, and then what this um, phrase means. Fairness and justice. Fairness and justice. We, this is one of the things about life that really gets us, isn't it? We want life to be fair. We want life to be just. So when my kids were growing up, um, I would tell them to do something or I would make a decision and the cry would come, Dad, that's not fair. And I would tell, I look at them and I go, life's not fair. And they would say, yeah, but you don't have to make it worse. <laughs> There's something in us that wants life to be fair, that wants life to be just because God created us that way. In the garden, it was fair. When, we, when Adam and Eve rebelled, it turned everything upside down, so life is not fair. 
Life will not be fair. Don't look to life to be fair. Here's a principle that we need to embrace. We long in this life for many things that will only be given to us in the next life. We long for that which God promises to do, and fairness and justice is one of them. When we get to eternity, it will be just. It will be fair. In this life, it won't. In fact, so oftentimes, God uses the unfairness in order to accomplish His purposes. Prime example, when Jesus hung on the cross, that was not fair. Right? But it accomplished God's justice for us. So, life is not going to be fair. We long for life to be fair. But it will not be. Now, and then the, the second concept is, the, is what judge or judging actually means. So what we find in Scripture is there's two different uses. The first, um, and generally I think the one that we remember the most, this word when it's translated judge, would actually be better translated condemn. And so the first use of this would, has the same root, but it's a different use, is to condemn, to consider guilty of something bad. So, um, so I, w- I was talking to somebody in the last week or so, and, and, I, and I looked at them and I said, now no judging me. What did I mean by that? Don't look down on me. Don't look at what I've done or what I didn't do and think less of me. Right? That's what we usually think of as judging. So turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. So the, this carry, and, and this word carries a lot of baggage, doesn't it? I mean, in our culture, if you think of going before a judge, most of the time it's not because you're looking forward to something good, right? You're standing in a court of law for some reason, thinking the worst. Matthew chapter 7, and, that, and that's the, the first use of it, is condemned, to consider guilty of something or that a person is a bad person. So Matthew chapter 7 verse 1 says, Judge not that you be not judged. Don't condemn another person Don't consider another person a bad person that you will not be considered that way by God. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's a big log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. That's a very um, well-known passage of Scripture. Speck in your eye, a plank or, or a log in your own eye. And so judge, do not condemn, do not look down on another person, do not be picky about another person, because that same com- comes back to you. And and in our human nature, and there's a psychological term that I can't remember what it was, that we have this propensity, the human nature has the propensity to give ourselves the benefit of the doubt lesser than we should, you know, see ourselves at, you know, as less guilty, and see other people as more guilty than we should. 
It's just human life. So he says, don't do that. Don't condemn. That's the first use of it. The second use is to discern right from wrong, good from bad. In the same sermon, just a few verses later, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are, any, are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Jesus turns around and so, uses the, basically the same concept, and he says, don't judge others or you'll be judged. And then he says, judge false prophets. Discern false prophets. Identify those who are teaching wrong. And then uh, and, uh, later in his ministry, in Ch- John chapter 7, says, do not judge by appearance, but judge with a right judgment. And so it's not that we're not, we are not to condemn or think a person, of a person as bad, but we are to identify right from wrong. And that's what we see Jesus coming to do when we look at this phrase, from whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. It's not that he's coming to condemn. He's coming to evaluate right from wrong. He's true truth and falsehood. So that's the that's the kind of the foundation. Now let's talk about what it means with Jesus being that that judge, living and looking forward to Jesus' return as judge. And, and part of what I want you to do is to reframe when you think of him being a, a judge. Reframe that from thinking he's. Uh, in a negative, con- condemning, he thinks of us as bad framework. Because we should look forward to that day. If we are following Jesus Christ, if we have a relationship with him and we're striving to live our lives for him, we should look forward to standing before him as the judge. Amen. Rather than hesitating or, or um, fearing that because of what he's going to do. So judge is not a bad word. Because Jesus is going to be that judge. So, number one, Jesus will return as ruler and judge. He will return as ruler and judge. And in all that we've looked at in, um, in the uh, Apostles' Creed has, has, gives us the understanding that he has that rightful position to be that judge. Because he's paved the way. And so far, we've looked at... Um, and on uh, January 28th, we, we saw that God is creator, that he's infinite, he's all-powerful, all-knowing, all-present, unchanging, sovereign, that he's in charge. And at the same time, he's all-loving, faithful, good, gracious, respects our will, that God is in charge and that he is good. And then we saw that Jesus is his son and our Lord. We saw that Jesus is the personal name of Jesus. Christ is his official title as Messiah and Lord that he is unique in his relationship with the Father. In relationship, he's in a class all by himself. And as Lord, he has absolute power of kingship and authority. And then we, then we saw on the 11th that he, his birth was scandalous, his ministry was radical, and his death was unexpected. Then last week we saw that he, his victory is more than we know. He was raised from the dead. He, he proclaimed victory to the uh, demonic entities in spiritual prison. 
And that as a result, we are more than conquerors. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father, having won the victory, conquered all. There's no one that can come close. There's no one that can oppose him. He is Lord and Savior and King of overall. He's the ruler overall. Nothing phases that. There's nothing left. He conquered all on the, at the cross and the resurrection. Because of that, now he sits as ruler of all. But there's coming a day. Whence he will come to judge the living and the dead. So Jesus as judge, he will pronounce the truth about us and our destiny. This is what we are looking forward to. This, but we usually zero in on it in this life. And so we hear phrases like, well, if God really loved me, he would do this. He's ruler. He's all-knowing. He's all-loving. What God is doing is in that context. Now, you can be, um, you know, a goat and be wandering off away from him and experiencing things that he doesn't want you to experience. But if it's coming from God, it's good and it's proper, it's loving, and it's leading to what is best. We want from this life what is only promised in eternity. Mm -hmm. Here's what's coming. We read a part of this passage of Scripture from 1 Corinthians 15. Open your Bibles there. Anybody need a Bible? We got some in the back. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. One of the, one of the aspects of living for the unseen is looking to eternity. Recognizing this life is short, it's just a dot, and eternity is long, it's, and looking forward to that, that day of judgment. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 50, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, the eternal kingdom of God. We're a part of the kingdom now, but the eternal perfect kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, which is the biblical word for die, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, which is, we'll, we'll mention this in a little bit, but be re- we have to be ready. Because we don't know. It could be before this worship service is over. And then we'll go, that's not fair. All that good food that is wafting <laughs> into the, will go to waste. I don't know, maybe not. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For the perishable body, those who have passed away, must put on the imperishable. And the mortal body, those who are still living, must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. You see, we haven't experienced that victory yet, but it's coming when Jesus comes to judge the, the living and the dead. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? 
The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When do we experience the ultimate and complete victory? When Jesus comes from heaven to judge the living and the dead. Then turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. First Thessalonians chapter 4, beginning with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who have passed away. That you may, must not grieve as others do who have no hope. Mm-hmm. That's essential. Because as a pastor, I have um, conducted a lot of funerals over the years. And there is a, <laughs> excuse me, a vast difference between those who have hope and those who do not. A number of years ago, I, I was conducting a funeral. And um, if the, it, there were so many people in that family who were not believers. And after the message was over, the funeral message was over, there were a number of them poured over and literally draped themselves over the casket, weeping and sobbing and crying out. That's what happens when you have no hope. Those who have hope shed tears and they grieve And they feel the loss, but they know that this is not the end. And so he says, we need to pay attention. We need to look forward to the end of this life and experience the end of this life when it comes to others in our lives as those who have hope. Now, I... There is a deeper sadness when we know the person who has passed has not been following Christ. Because we know that there is no hope with them. And that's what he goes on to describe. Since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you, by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive... And so, in 1 Corinthians, he talks about how um, those who have passed away will be raised imperishable. Those who are still living will be given an immortal body. And now he gives a little more detail. He says, this we declare to you, that those who are alive, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, so if you're still breathing when Jesus returns, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, and with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. In other words, (coughs) I don't know how it's going to work, but everybody's going to see it. It's not going to be a secret. So if you ever hear somebody say, um, "Why, well, you know, I heard Jesus came back to uh, South Africa," and you can just dismiss that because everybody's going to see it. You're going to hear <laughs> the, the trumpet sound of God. I don't know what that's going to sound like. I think it's going to be loud. The voice of the archangel. That's going to be loud. Every now, when everybody has. Jesus got everybody's attention. The dead in Christ will rise first. 
That'll be a sight. Mm -hmm. There you are standing and then you're watching. Mm -hmm. Because we're, we're, we're second, mm -hmm. if we're still alive. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up, in, up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so we will always be with the Lord. Mm -hmm. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So Jesus is coming someday to judge the living and the dead. He's going to, it, it'll, everybody will see it, we'll hear it, and we'll experience it. Then what happens? Jesus will make two judgments. The first one, and in, in th this is where I find a lot of people in American Christianity <coughs> recognize the first one, but not necessarily the second one. The first one is relationship. This is salvation. So when Jesus comes, he is going to judge. He's going to stand and he's going to open the book of life and he's going to judge goats and sheep. Those who know Jesus and obedient relationship. So Matthew 7, 21, turn there. <coughs> I was hoping to get through this without a cough drop, but... Matthew 7, 21, scripture that we refer to quite a bit. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never, what's the next word? knew you relationship <coughs> depart from me you workers of lawlessness so jesus is going to come and he's going to gather and the first judgment will be did you know jesus did you have a personal relationship with jesus did you were, were you following christ or were you just doing going through the motions which is what he describes in matthew chapter 7 they were prophesying they were doing they were doing all these good things but they didn't have a relationship with Jesus. I visited, I told the learning communities this week, I visited, the week I was gone, I visited a church in Southern California who will remain nameless. I searched for several hours to try to find a place where I could just go and experience the presence of God. That's all I want. I just want to, I don't care what the name is. I don't care how, I just want to experience the presence of God with no responsibilities, just to be able to just be in God's presence. So I looked and looked, and, and, and finally, I, I, since I was nudged to this particular church, had three different services. I chose the one, the, the middle one, so that we could do something with the family later. Arrived, and there must have been five to seven hundred people in the, that service. Yeah, so there's a couple thousand people in this congregation. Walked in, hardly anybody said hi, nobody tried to talk to me. Sat down, they lowered the lights, and then they started singing. The songs were too high for me to really sing, and I looked around, hardly anybody else was singing. It was a concert. And then after that, the pastor got up, and it was a lecture. It was nice Bible teaching. Had decent application, but there wasn't a spirit there. And as I was sitting there, I'm just praying. I'm going, God, what is, what is, what? 
And I just, I did not sense the presence of God was there. You see, Jesus guarantees that if we gather in his name, he will, he will be there. But that doesn't mean just because you're gathering and saying his name, he's there. And so I'm thinking, there's 2,000 people coming to this, and I don't think they're experiencing the presence of God. And it made me think about this scripture. How many people are there who believe that they are following God who will on that day when he opens the book of life say, no, you're with the goats. And they'll go, wait a minute, but we went to church every week. We did all this stuff and we, you know, we prayed before. We, no, you never knew me. You never knew me. It's, a, it's about relationship. It's not about being good. It's about relationship. Did you come to Christ? Did you accept the forgiveness of sins, the price that he paid? And then did you follow him in obedient relationship? That's the first judgment. And if you have, then you look forward to that day when he's going to judge the living and the dead because of everything else that it talks about that Matthew says I can't talk about. Second judgment is a judgment of rewards. And this is the one where I I think it shouldn't be our focus, but it should be an understanding that because we desire fairness and we're not going to get in this life. We, We all know people who are talented and able and who are struggling. And then we look at people who are dumb as dirt and they, they're wealthier than you can imagine. It, life's not fair. You're not going to get that. But when Jesus comes, he's going, to, he's going to reward us with treasures and with work to do in his heavenly kingdom that we will enjoy and without all of the stuff we have to put up with now. Amen. Here's what the Bible says. Matthew 6. 19 and 20, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break up and steal. Break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break and steal. In other words, don't gather treasures here, but live in such a way that when you get to heaven at that judgment of reward, there are going to be treasures that are a part of this reward. Um. Did I put other scriptures there? Hmm? Okay. Um, and we'll talk about this one in just a moment. And, and, and again, it just reaffirms that there's going to be rewards in heaven. Rewards in heaven. Um, so, Jesus will make those two judgments when he comes to judge the living and the dead. Number three, we are to actively prepare for Jesus return in judgment. When we give up desiring in this life what Jesus promises in the next life, then we can set aside all the stuff in this life that wants to capture our attention to live for that which will last. Did you catch that? If we really buy into this statement in the Apostles' Creed that someday he's coming 
and he's going to bring justice with him. And he's going to bring fairness with him. He's going to bring reward with him. He's going, and, and reward that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever. And ever. You know, you, you gain something here, no matter how good it is that he gives us, and it's just this little tiny short period of time. But he says, oh, if you will just give yourself to me, you can have better and for all this period of time. And so we need to look forward. We need to actively prepare. And in Matthew chapter 25, there are three parables that he tells about being ready for his return. We don't have time to read them all. I'm just going to refer to them. First, he says, be ready for his return. Be ready. This is the parable of the ten virgins. This is a story that Jesus says, um, in, 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 that, in that culture, they would be like bridesmaids. So bridesmaids. And they never knew when the groom and his entourages were going to show up. And so these virgins, these bridesmaids, would gather and they had to have enough oil on their lamps because of the parade and all the things that they would do for them. And so the, the, the bridegroom didn't show up, didn't show up, didn't show up. And five of them didn't bring enough oil for their lamps. Five of them did. The five that didn't said, well, give us some of yours. And they said, well, it's not transferable. Sorry. They, they left because they had to have oil on their lamps before, before the bridegroom comes. They go out and while they're gone, the bridegroom shows up and he comes and the five who have been prepared are ready and they celebrate and the, the party begins and they close the door. Once the door is closed, they don't open it anymore. And the five come back here and they go, start pounding the door. Hey, we got our lamps. We got our lamps. We got our oil. Let us in. And Jesus says, in that day, when I judge the living and the dead, if you're not ready, there's no second chance. There's no second chance, which is opposed to what many of you grew up with, right? There is no second chance. Be ready at every moment with your eyes on Jesus, surrendering, listening, and obeying. He tells the second parable about the stewards, to be stewards as we wait for his return. This is the parable of the talents. The talent in that culture was uh, the amount of money. He says a uh, man was was going off on a trip, and he calls his servants in. To one he gives five, to another he gives two talents of money, and to another he gives one. And he says, now I'll earn money while I'm gone. And he goes off on his trip. The first one turns the five into ten. The second one turns the two into four. And the third one buries it in the backyard because he's afraid, he's irresponsible, he's not using what the owner who represents God, has given him. The man comes back. The one with the, the five, he calls him in. Moment of judgment. And he says, what'd you do? He says, oh, here, I turned your five into ten. And the man goes, and the, the owner goes, good job. Enter into my happiness. Now I'm going to give you even more because you've been faithful. Calls the second one in. What'd you do? I doubled it. Join the number one with five. The, the one with five. And the one with one, what'd you do with it? Well, I buried it in the backyard because I know you're a hard person and I, and I was afraid that you would beat me. And the owner got angry. And if we combine our parables, he says, you're with the goats. Take away what he has, give it to the other, and you will go into eternal punishment. The third parable, so the first parable 
Be ready for his return. The second parable will be stewards with what we've got, which is why in membership class we talk about living generously because what we've got is God's. The people in our lives, are stu- we are to steward those relationships. We are to steward our possessions. We are to steward our jobs. We're supposed to steward everything that God has given to us is, is God's. And so we're supposed to live obediently to him. Why? Not because he doesn't want us to enjoy things, but because there's so much more to come. And then the third one, is the parable of the sheep and the goats. And here he's saying, be Jesus. Live like Jesus to other people until his return. The parable of the goats, the point was, evidence that you really are serving me is how you treat other people. Evidence, it's not, and so the goats, as he's making the judgment, the sheep get to enter in because they visited those who were in prison. They cared for those who were sick. They fed those who were hungry. They came alongside. They helped other people. They recognized that as a part of the stewardship of their lives, they were here to be Jesus to other people. It goes back to Jesus' original commands. Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why did he leave us here? To be his hands and his feet, right? And so he says, be Jesus. And what's interesting is the people who had been doing that, the sheep, he says, enter into your house. He goes, when did we ever see you in prison and visit you and hungry and we fed you and naked and we clothed? And he said, when you did to the least of these, you were doing it to me. You were doing, you were serving God. And the goats said the same thing. When did we ever, Lord, if we'd have seen you naked, we'd have given you something to wear. They didn't even recognize it. You see, when you're living as the hands and the feet of Jesus, most of the time you won't even realize that you're being loving. When you're living not as the hands and feet of Jesus, you won't even recognize your selfishness. Which is why we have to spend time in the throne room to understand what we're supposed to be do, doing and whether we're doing it or not. One of the, one of the parts of being in the throne room with God and, uh, and asking him to show us what he's seeing is that he will tell us that he is delighted with us. Listen to me. Listen to me. It's not just doing your duty to spend time with God. It's so that your loving Heavenly Father and and Lord Jesus Christ who sits on the throne, the Holy Spirit that lives within you, has an opportunity to delight in you so that He fills up your spiritual tank and your emotional tank so that you walk out of the throne room excited about this relationship with God because He has affirmed you. And that's what we all long for. We all long for that day. We see it in, we long for the approval of our parents. We long for the approval of our coach. What we're really longing for is the approval of God. And he wants to give it, but we don't get it unless we spend time with him. Got it?
And another aspect of this is that um, we need to be in community so that we can help one another to encourage when we are doing, living as we should and to be corrected when we're not. Because we are so blind. I think I've told you before that um, the story of when I was a freshman in college, coming to the end of my freshman year, and I knew what I had to do to get an A in Dr. Bland's English class. And by the way, his name fit him. <laughs> Dr. Bland's English class. I knew what I had to do. I knew the, the score that I had to get on the final in order to get an A for the course. And as I was getting ready to leave campus, drive back to Ohio, I stopped by Dr. Bland's office to see what I got on the final, just see what my grade point average was going to be. And I walked in, and he was there in his office by himself. And I said, well, how did I do? He looked through, and he told me what the grade was. And I said, oh, yeah, I knew that would get me an A. I said, that's pretty good. And he looked at me, and he said, for most people, You hear what he was saying? That was, a good, that was a good grade for most people. But I know what you're capable of. And I know you just skated by. You didn't give your best. And that caught me. Now here it is, almost 50 years later. And I still remember that. Because he was being the voice of Jesus to challenge me not to skate, not to slide, not just to get the grade, but to excel. And we need one another to challenge us like that. Because we can get by, we can do, but we need one another. So that when we get to that judgment seat, Jesus can, can look at us and go, aren't you glad I sent Dr. Bland that day? Because now you get a greater reward. From whence he will come, heaven, to judge the living and the dead. That should motivate us to put up with a whole bunch of stuff that we have to in this life. It should motivate us to focus on Jesus and his promises, not, the, not getting what we can, not what we like. It should, give us, it should motivate us to trust him, to endure the injustice knowing that there are no exceptions to Romans 8.28. And it should motivate us to be joyful in Him no matter what we're going through. Does it for you? Embrace it. Would you bow your heads? No matter how bad it gets in this life, we look forward to the day when Jesus returns, when He will... Um, Judge justly, fairly. But it also should cause us to say, Lord, give us more opportunities to serve you, to please you, to earn your rewards, to earn your delight. So Lord, I pray for each one of us, you would identify any places where we need to surrender, any places where, where we're skating by, any places where we're ignoring your nudge, and that you would give us power through your Spirit 
to live with passion for the things that matter, the things that last, the things that you will judge when you return. I pray that you would help us as a congregation to see it and do it together with delight. Holy Spirit, help us understand more deeply and live, live for the unseen. In the name of Jesus we pray, amen.